0: Hey, it's Greg. This is the Square Pizza Pod, cooked up by Sherm Co. Hey, everyone. Thanks for checking out another episode of the Square Pizza Pod. Known James Ford for a number of years now, he's an awesome dude for a number of reasons, which you are getting ready to find out, but was really excited to have him on the podcast Uh, James an award-winning teacher and educator and leader in the space of education, but also equitable education. Um, And so we chatted really a a wide range of of topics, ranging from hip-hop and his love for music um, to perhaps James being a journalist once upon a time and or in the future, Um, and then really practical things about his work and the states of North Carolina's work around implementing more equitable social studies uh, standards in the near future. and um, even talked about the possibility of getting rid of grades in public education and the pros and cons of that. Um, so we went a little bit all over the place, but we hope it's helpful and that you get some real value out of this. Mr. James Ford,
1: what's the word? Uh, not much, man. Maintaining. That's the Maintain word,
0: it. maintaining. It. I'm sure you are doing more than that. Good, man. Healthy and employed. Happy. Appreciate you joining. Long time coming
1: man yeah yeah good to see you uh making moves and whatnot man so i'm just glad to be a guest you know what oh, I mean, in stop the
0: house it. i'm gonna go off script already but want to give you even more love and also the audience but appreciated um the perspective and knowledge you dropped saturday uh with Tekka and diaries um at the virtual conference with diverse ed thought that was great
1: thanks man um yeah diaries and you know Tekka, man that's I meant what I said, like their family, and mm-hmm. uh, we just feel certain kinship between Creed and Tekka, and, you know, I was happy to let me, you know, get on there behind Brittany Packnick Cunningham. I mean, that's, that's a hard act to follow, bro.
0: Well, I was going to say, like you said, you didn't do yourself any favors going after her. If anything, you got you to gotta go front and introduce the, the closer, right? Nah, nah. I was, you know, I was just
1: happy to have my name on the mark here at the end of the day, but uh, <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was good fun, man. Hopefully, yeah. somebody learned something in the process
0: yeah it was really good and uh, hopefully some of the folks listening here today got a chance to see it all right before we get into some of the the day to day you know i think you're a, a, a semi proud midwesterner as i am a little different that you reside from i believe a city called rockford um That's correct. also might share some of those roots with uh, a semi famous basketball player now in the nba so i think you know an unbiased question james you or fred van fleet is the most famous and influential uh, historian or maybe just person from Rockford? Um, So right now I'll say it's
1: Fred without okay. question and justifiably so. Um, quick story, Fred was a freshman, man. Fred and I got the same alma mater. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, a student taught uh, at, at my alma mater when he was a freshman. So uh, Fred was hooping, I think he was on the varsity squad at Auburn High School in Rockford. Um, mm. When I when I was student teaching and his coach, um, is a let you know a Brian Ott, Shout out to Brian uh, Coach Ott, um, a, an amazing teacher, man. Um, on top of all of that, and so wow. I I just respect it. But uh, right now I give it to Fred. But to be honest, man, Virgil Abloh, you know Virgil, right, you know up there too, you mm-hmm. know Louis Vuitton fame and yep. Um, so you know you got to give it to both of those cats. But I'm really proud of Fred. And um, he's doing it the Midwestern, you know, blue-collar way. You know what yeah. I mean? Nothing given to you; just working hard.
0: That's right. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, you know, I don't think Rockford. I know the population off the top of my head, but I think fairly small, right? But being able to see just different people you grew up with and in the community kind of blossom and grow and develop—it's cool to to see that both in your hometown and other networks as well.
1: You know how it is. I mean, you're from Toledo, right? You know what I mean? So, yes, sir, it's uh, a yeah, so Rockford's about 150,000. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And. You know the you know the Midwest, bro. <laughs> the Midwest <laughs> is like all the Midwest for the most part is like I mean, I won't say struggling, but yeah, it's real. It's gritty, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so anytime you see somebody make it out of there, you can't help but root for them. I rooted for uh the Cavs. Uh when they won it's their shit. You know what
0: I, I mean? Appreciate you're like, you're that, it, man. You know, no, I liked you. Yeah. Over <laughs> the over the basers or I guess the Bulls, right? Um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Cavs were good. It's good to see, you know, when those things can come together, especially Cleveland. I I don't really grow up a Browns fan, but going to school over there and just seeing how much love and passion they have and also, like, how bad they've been for so long. It's hard not to pull for teams like that, particularly in, like, your, you know, areas of the country in which you grew up and also just friends in which you have kinship with.
1: That's right. That's right. It's It's a mentality, bro, underdog. And, you know, I like to think that I embody that, you know yeah. what I mean?
0: I like that. So talk us a little bit about music, too, before we get into some of the day to day. I think, you know, we always I know you're an avid fan of the square pizza, so we appreciate that. Number one. Uh, Number two, we don't call this, you know, we call it like professional stalking slash research to make sure we're doing good due diligence on our on our esteemed guests like yourself. But it appears both from um, some, you know, album covers I've seen as well as just following you on Twitter. Music is a big influence in your life. So I get, it may or may not be something people know about you. So I would love for you to confirm or deny that and perhaps tell the people more.
1: Absolutely. So, I mean, first and foremost, um, I'm a product of, of hip hop culture. Like, okay. you know, like I, I was blessed to grow up in the era right as it was burgeoning, right? Yep. So born in 1980, year after the first recorded song, Sugar Hill, Deli- uh, Sugar Hill Gang, Rapper's Delight, there you go. Um, watched it develop, you know, was there through what I consider the golden year. So I mean, it's part of my identity, you know mm. what I mean? Um, but beyond that, you know, I, I MC, man. You know, yep. like I I, just I so underground, semi-professional career, Um, pretty much, you know, did performances from the age of 13. Mm. I didn't stop till like 29. Like yeah. once I moved to Charlotte, I was like, I should probably get this up and focus on being a teacher. Uh, but no, so like it's a, it's a huge influence. But on, on top of that, just got a, a huge record collection, was a, an old sample producer, Boom Bap Head, and mm. still rely on music, man, just to, you know, take me to different places and can't imagine life without it, you know?
0: And did you grow up in a house that valued it or there was always music around? How did you kind of dip your toe into music? Yeah, big time. So my dad's an old jazz head. And okay. so I
1: grew up with, uh, with records, man. And I recall, you know, him always on Saturday mornings just sitting around, you know, with a... Of old Milwaukee, you know what I mean? If he kicked up on you know what, <laughs> what I mean, about Midwest,
0: right there,
1: it's not a game, we call just playing like <laughs> and just sitting there listening to jazz records. And he wouldn't, you couldn't talk to him during that period, but he would just zone out. And I began to develop that love. And like most hip hop producers, I would go through his crates and look at the artists, you know, when I saw Bob James, um, and I heard you know, um, the, the album, too, yep, right and take me to Mardi Gras. And then when I heard, you know, uh, Peter Piper by Run DMC, I was like, my dad has, I know these, you know what I mean? Like, I got to know yeah, yeah. these, these so it, so it just, it was like, it, it felt like it was just natural mm, growing cool. up in that household, yeah.
0: Do you think like, um like music, the creation of music, the MC skills, translator had any influence? I guess influence is probably a bad way to put it. It's probably an obvious answer, but maybe a better phrase is like, how might have that experience with music influence what you're doing now and what you have done in education?
1: Yeah, that's an excellent question, right? Especially like with um, folks like Chris Emden, who are, you know, Mm -hmm. um, drawn easy connections, you know, hip hop ed. Um, I mean, so there's hip hop itself, man, is a response to, you know, oppression, and you know, un- being on the resource, and it's an innovative response, making something out of nothing. So, yep. so, to, so that's in me. Um, but on top of that, like just as an MC, um, you know, the stage presence, um, you know, the be the ability to be extemporaneous, you yep. know, to be impromptu, um, to have, to to move the crowd, right? To have command of uh, sure. of the stage and of the microphone. As a teacher, that was always, you know, something that I that I did, you yep. know, and. I, you know, it, it, it's the craft, man. Like you respect, sure. right. Sure. Uh, I respect good teaching in the same way. Like I like seeing a teacher really go at it. I'm like, man, they're dope. I feel the same way about MC so it's just about being true to the craft at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, just thinking about one, whether you're freestyling or making beats or anything else, just thinking on your feet, being able to move quickly, both like for the music and the tunes and everything else, but translating back to the classroom, same thing, if, if something happens in the classroom. And or you think about stage presence? Like, I think one of the best things I ever learned is like maybe if you're losing sight of your lesson and or students are losing interest, like that presence in the classroom, like stand in front of the classroom, plant your feet, make eye contact with your students, make sure you like wait and then keep it moving to the next thing. And performance art may be a bit too much, but since you and I are both education fiends, you know, I think we might be allowed to use that, uh, that terminology here today. Well, first of all, you're
1: talking like you know something about that, man. You know what I mean? Like you've been like you've been on the stage or something. Uh, but no, I could I couldn't agree more. And I do think it is a performance, um, to an extent, right? When yeah, it's done true. well, you allow autonomy or whatever. But yes, it is art. It is a production. It mm-hmm. is it is a craft, and you gotta have presence. And the students they feel that they know when you're sure. into it. So I would agree.
0: Yeah. That's cool. So, I mean, we could probably go deep dive there and and maybe that will, but we always like to start with kind of what's top of mind with our guests. And so without me talking too much, we'd love to just hear kind of where you go with that.
1: Yeah. Um, so, I mean, naturally, you know, you know, we talked about it today. I was on, uh, had the opportunity to be on Charlotte talks, uh, to discuss a little bit more of the work going on at the state board level or that happened at the state board level around standards. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged by this moment, man. Um, where we really get to think about education as a, as a practice of freedom, right. And yep. critical pedagogy. And I mean, what does the world look like that really responds to the needs and to the experiences and affirms the identities of students and obviously standards, how they translate to curriculum, how that impacts what's taught and how it's taught in the classroom. Uh, that excites me, man. Yep. Um, and I can't imagine being a kid who would have had the opportunity to learn more about myself yep. when I was younger, you know,
0: yeah, and shout out to you and the, everybody that had a part of that. And I think what's I want to drill down on and lift you guys up in the sense of, you know, it's one thing to pass standards by themselves, whether it's common core or literacy, just in like updating the standards. And we always hear things around why wasn't this taught in school, whether it's, personal finance or taxes or something else, like just the actual passage of policy. And some you said this weekend about understanding where the power lies or perhaps resides in order to change that power is that like kind of pillar one, but then pillar two to do it, you know, in a state that has not been known well for focusing on equity and um, supporting, um, you know, all people the way they should be supported in equitable way, but then implementing social studies standards in that way too, to ensure some of those tough conversations, but real conversations, the history of our country are taught. Those two things are not easy to do policy wise. And so kind of want to put it back to you and talk us like, how did that happen? How did you guys make that work in that tough policy environment?
1: Oh Man, so North Carolina is interesting. Yep. You know, um, the interesting thing, and I think most listeners who live in NC would agree is, I mean, you know, NC could really, I mean, really be great. I mean, if it weren't, if, if we we're so you know i to say like gerrymander, right sure. that's a fact yep. you know um we're probably the most moderate in terms of split down the middle moderate state in the union mm. and so um you believe that i do i do too well, maybe virginia interesting. Yeah. at this point yeah. but i mean at this point virginia is kind of more reliably you know blue or whatever but sure. um yeah I, north carolina is um they're great people here man yep. and you find yourself with strange bedfellows as I was kind of talking about when it came to uh, a Yep. And so conversations around equity principally are, are are those that most people can get behind. I won't say all. Mm
0: -hmm. Um,
1: And so when people get lost in sort of terminology and stuff that turns them off, you have to take time to like slowly educate them on what you mean when you say this. Right. So when Mm -hmm. I'm talking about uh, all kids, right. uh, Getting what they need, you have to explain it. Like, different kids have different needs because they're differently positioned and yep. when you've seen these outcomes it ain't based on what a kid is capable of right it's um understanding how they got to where they're at and then once you are able to rally around certain principles it's been a two year process right, right. being honest right uh, you can start to to corral folks and people become more naturally open to the possibility of responding to a state that is objective and verifiably different you yep. know what i mean and yep. changing yep. so i think it takes a lot of education. It takes some fight, too. You got to be able to take some shots. I ain't going to lie to you. You know yep. what I mean? Um, you got to take, you know. Um, I mean, it you wasn't
0: know. smooth sailing to pass curriculum like that in the state, in North Carolina like that.
1: No, no. Yeah. And it, it is political, bro. Right. I mean, and so you just got to know that going into it's a contact sport. You take your hits and you keep yep. on,
0: you keep moving your feet. Yeah, I think that's good and so important. If we like go from policy to practice, and so what's just like the practicality of standards being passed? We're obviously talking about this, which is important, but it happens, the teacher in the classroom or the eighth grader that's now gonna be able to be delivered this content. What does just that process look like for those that maybe aren't familiar with that process?
1: Yeah, that's a good question too. So standards deal with pretty uh, plainly put uh, what we want students to know, Mm -hmm. right? And curriculum, which is populated at the local level, typically by your district and by the teacher, is how you want students to know it. So the delivery, the, the materials, the text, the resources, et cetera, that's something that still is going to remain within the autonomy of the of, of the instructor. Yep. But by I mean, because we can't reach down and say to every teacher, nor should we, you need to teach like this to so decide you teach it. What you can do is at the policy level, say, well, this is what we want students to know, right? No more 10, 15 down the year's line, down the line, coming down and saying, well, I didn't know about uh, the American Indian movement. Or I didn't know about, uh, you know, Black Wall Street or the the Wilmington coup, right? We can specify and say, listen, you know, teachers, how you do it, how you populate it is up to you. But our expectation is that students who come through North Carolina public schools are educated about X, Y, Z. And so um, it translates into, um, you know, still teachers and instructors being be given being given carte blanche, but yep. knowing that they got to justify their objectives according to those standards.
0: And this is ninth like high school curriculum, K through 12. What are we looking at? It's K 12, man. K-12. Um,
1: all, all the all the standards got revised um, that are fall under the auspice of social studies
0: and can be expected to be in front of students. 21 21 22, 21, 22 year, this upcoming yeah. august so yeah soon. that's why
1: we we, could, we had to move man you know what yeah. i mean we had already delayed it so
0: yeah they gotta be ready to go next and year. and i think even more shout out to you guys of getting it passed but then knowing one everything that we everybody is doing with with this school year but two having the vision with like an implementation idea and plan in place to know that it's not going to sit on the shelf for two more years that we can get this in front of kids asap because that's what they deserve
1: yeah, well, it ain't just me for sure. And let yep. me pause to say like, shout out to the, you know, to the folks at DPI, to the mm-hmm. teachers who volunteered, mm-hmm. right, to dedicate their time to writing these standards and, and responding to the needs of the community. They deserve the lion's share of, of all the praise for sure.
0: That's great. I appreciate that. And I think kind of sticking with the, the standards, interesting kind of your insight is not really something we talked about before, but I think the idea of standardized tests mm-hmm. this year, and I, and I think from, uh, you know, from my previous experience, they can be used to inform they can be used to, to judge if they're not used in the right way. They can be used to discriminate if they're not used in the right way. So in terms of there's data in general and then data in the time of a school year during COVID, which is interesting, in like as a person, a human, where are you thinking this year?
1: Yeah, man, I've been evolving on that. I'm not going to lie to you. So this me oh. being vulnerable. Um, at first I was like, so you, you probably know, like, I, don't even, I don't even believe in grades. But at this point um, uh, of, of my career.
0: Can you give people, I, I know it's not a 30-second response, but can you maybe give people a high level of like, if that's the first time they've ever heard like this dude doesn't believe in grades, he's teacher, year. like, what's his, what's my man talking about? Yeah, so this is my
1: reason because most adults, y'all don't get grades. You know what I'm saying? Right? right? At your job, assuming you're not self-employed and even you are, your team, I, you get I grades, but in a evaluate.
0: Yeah, you get grades but in a different form. If you get fired, right. you get told no. <laughs> Those that's right. Grades, right. You get a performance evaluation and it's based...
1: All it does is focus on what, you do, what you're what you doing well yep. and what you need to work on. And so the notion of grades, I think, is a false one. If we focus on mastery, that kind of more aligns with how the real world, real world is set up yep. and competency-based learning. So that's that. But, um, you know, I was dead set against um, students being tested during this year because I was like, man, what is this really going to measure? Yep. At the same time, I do kind of come from a school where it's like, dad, you know, students who have been left behind pre-pandemic, you and there are folks who are like this they they don't feel like we should assess it like they just they they cater to the argument well nothing's really measurable you can't measure a teacher you can't measure right. with kid. reform uh by all means the metrics and the tools that are used but we got to figure out uh on, on mass where where kids are at because yep. like that's also like a dereliction of duty but at the same time standardized test, mm-hmm. does that accomplish that? And I mm-hmm. think there's an argument to, no, they don't, right? And who are they normed after? And what do they really tell us? And so I'm of the belief at this point, like, and we gotta figure out something mm-hmm. and just leaving it totally to the teachers leads to so much variance, yep. that, you know, it doesn't tell us much, but relying to, uh, 100% on standardized tests and putting, you know, high stakes uh, uh, to that in a pandemic, yep. like how reliable is that? Why would anybody do that? So right. I think a temperature check is in order, but, yep. I don't think bringing kids into the school building to do that during the pandemic is necessarily the best way
0: to do that. And, and has there been an official uh, declaration about the expectation for that in the state?
1: No. Um, so, you know, we appealed to the Biden administration, well, initially to the uh, oh. Trump administration and not to the Biden administration for waivers, as you may have heard. Um, that's been turned down. The expectation is that um, states still administer mm-hmm. standardized tests. Um a lot of pressure though, uh, sure. and I, I, I'm assuming it's my prediction. I think that they'll end up moving on that yep. um, by the by the time the school year ends. But who knows, man? This whole environment is precarious as heck.
0: Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. I think you're you're probably right as well, and I think yeah, would cosign all of that. Um, and, and just, right, it's always gray. Well, not always, but I think a lot of times gray and that they can be used for good and maybe cannot be used for good, but that at least knowing where students stand, even if perhaps we're using a system that's inequitable and a scale that's inequitable, it gives us an understanding of how to pivot, knowing we can't just go to no grades as a system tomorrow. And so you never want to kind of make these sacrifices in a sense, but this allows us to give some sort of resemblance of how to best support kids directly where they are. hmm
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you can switch things overnight. That's, that sounds great. But in the interim, like I really, I do think we're going to find out that there's a lot of damage done um, and more than we can properly measure. And I just don't want to wait till 20 years down the line and be like, Oh, look at these outcomes. Like that's, that's a lagging indicator. And I I don't believe in that.
0: Might there be any momentum across the state of North Carolina or others to begin to just get rid of grades down the road? I think there
1: is. And here, here's where the, strange bedfellows uh argument comes in so this is this is a uh and i'm not a partisan as you know like Mm -hmm. i'm unaffiliated (laughs) i'd be on everybody back um but i mean i'm certainly more left i'm pretty far left right um but uh you know a lot of conservatives i I think that they're open to the idea of competency-based learning as well so that's one of those areas where you find intersection that people are open to the idea of moving in a different direction so um, there's pockets of support, whether
0: that translates into a real movement, yeah, I don't know. And I think when you think about it, unfortunately, it's one of the things that almost makes too much sense in an antiquated system like public education in terms of, to your point, performance reviews and grades, but also just like team projects, like very few working professionals are completely solo and not reliant on their team building skills or soft skills. And frankly, like not their ability to balance fractions or to understand Pythagorean theorem or other things, even, even smaller things like best practices in writing short emails compared to long ass emails that nobody reads, right? Like those are things that seem too simplistic, but like maybe that's an indicator of success as a young professional. Um, and so to this point around like not grades it to the maybe person not education, it seems crazy, but I think there might be a growing population saying like it makes sense.
1: Maybe there are domains. Right. Like, that's what I hear you sure. saying. It's like, yeah, you know, OK, have you mastered this content? Cool. Yep. But like, OK. Also, like EQ, you know, what's your EQ? Right. IQ is mm-hmm. not the determinant of who's successful most of the that's time. Right. Mostly it's EQ. So do, do we come up with EQ domains? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, do we come up with um, anti-racist or, or, or culturally relevant domains? Like yep. how do people navigate that as we, you know, traverse uh, along this multiracial democracy, this experiment? Mm-hmm.
0: Sounds like we're going to add some more to your plate before the end of the the, the chat as always. But I think you're already doing maybe not specifically around um, getting rid of grades at the moment, uh, but certainly pushing the state and educators and leaders in the state and outside the state around issues of equity, around how to make sure we become a more equitable culture with your work at Creed, with you and Janine and the board and the rest of the team. I would love to hear what's top of mind for you there and what you want to share with the audience about the important work you guys are doing.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, and so for folks who don't know, um, CREED is a creative acronym for the Center for Racial Equity and Education. The ED is for Ed. Um, And, you know, me, along with my co-founder, Janine Bryant, we're we're educators, man. Um, You know, we both taught in Charlotte-Mecklenburg schools. Uh, Janine taught early grades. I taught secondary. And, I mean, our primary focus, man, is, um, uh, you know, centering students of color, man, and transforming Mm -hmm. the education system. We don't We're not engaged in the ed reform business. We're about transformation, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Cutting, going, totally exploding the form that we're in, right? And cutting across. Why is that differentiation
0: important? I know you're an intentional dude and use ed reform differently from the word you just used. So curious for our listening audience, why you choose to do that?
1: Listen, because there's a whole era that's been characterized by that term, every form. And I would mm-hmm. argue that, you know, despite maybe some good intentions, it hasn't really been successful. And so we wanted to intentionally distance ourselves from that. Mm-hmm. And then also, like, this idea of transformation yep. um, is, is something that, um, you know, particularly when it comes to systems, it's something that we really identify with. And so we um, chose our language carefully. Yep. Uh, we do that Um three ways the research um, mm-hmm. so folks are familiar with our rigorous research that calls out the intersections of race and ed a really diverse engagement strategy um, and then implementation and so um, lately what we've been focusing on is our implementation our, our, our rather our engagement um, started out at the canon with research kind of yeah. brought to the forefront the issue and justify why we care about it and now we're just like about you know, we're not a think tank. So we're, again, we are a, a research uh, to practice organization. So we're trying to close the knowing doing gap. So engaging the general public and stakeholders is what we're involved in. So Freedom Hill Coalition, mm-hmm. um, named after uh, Freedom Hill, the first community of, uh, of enslaved, uh, formerly enslaved folks in America. is about taking our findings and taking and going to community and saying, uh, communities of color and say, what are your needs in the education sphere uh, uh, as it pertains to racial equity? and by um, and grassroots movement and empowering those folks, right? Not empowering, shall I say, sure. but, you know, uh, allowing folks um, and, and arming them with yep. the information to hold policymakers accountable for their kids, right? The community's education. And so uh, we've been convening virtually even in the COVID era, man. Sure. Uh, still trying to mobilize folks across all eight regions of the state. Um, that's been exciting. And then uh, most recently we um, announced some work we're, we're gonna be doing in the post-secondary space because mm-hmm. we're a 20 organization, so we focus yep. on pre-K and post-secondary. So, HBCUs, the, uh, NC10, which are the 10 HBCUs in North Carolina. Yep, appreciate that, man. So, um, it's gonna be a pack year, but yeah, we we staying busy. Yep,
0: that's I mean, it's great for a number of reasons. One, want to co-sign the love for the word implementation you chose to use for all the obvious reasons. We can talk ourselves in circles and education, and other things without actually getting to the front lines of the school building. So appreciate you guys for that. And also like you talked about centering um, minority students and, and black children, which I think is important for a number of reasons which we've talked about in this podcast, but kind of related I think is the, uh, hopefully an emerging focus we've seen in some of our work, but also across the country around black male educators and the importance of black male educators. And Not asking you because it's certainly not a monolith, but asking you because of your experience and what you've seen as more districts, as more states are thinking about supporting the community, the recruitment, the development, the retention of black male educators, and knowing it's not a silver bullet. What are some promising practices you want to offer up or just that you've seen? Well, one
1: is I think that the issue has raised, uh, it's, it has been raised to an extent now where it's kind of hit critical mass. Mm. Um, and listen, folks could say, well, people known that a long time ago, but there are circles, as you know, man, where folks sure. don't understand the relevance of the issue. So. Yep with the uh, Governor's Drive Task Force. Mm -hmm. Um, And I forget the acronym, but it was focused on diversifying the teacher workforce and the conference that was had in 2019 that raised the specter of the issue and the recommendations that came out of that are really, really exciting. Mm -hmm. Uh, Beyond that, uh, the Performance and Evaluation Division of the General Assembly, Mm -hmm. right, nonpartisan group, focused on the teacher diversity issue as well. And so I think that there's enough momentum now where folks are gonna start to pay uh, careful attention so how do we really do more than just talk about it? On top of that, uh, education preparation programs, EPPs. Yep. I don't know if you saw the accountability framework that was adopted for them. Diversity was part of the accountability framework now. Yep. So who comes through their program? What proportion of folks are folks of color, first gen, uh, you know, college goers, et cetera? Um, that's going to be part of their what they're held accountable for in their rating. And so we're starting at a systems level to, to see ways that that can actually change. It'd be yep. my hope that we could go the way that Tennessee just went and, 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 you know, pass a policy that mandates, uh, every school district implement an educator diversity plan. What are you going to do, right. uh, local education agency, um, to ensure that we're going beyond just platitudes and really finding ways to recruit and develop, uh, more teachers of color. Cause yep. we know that that impacts outcomes. That's right.
0: Yeah. I mean, two potential follow-ups like hundred percent to diaries in Tennessee and the work of tech and their stakeholders and ed trust. I think one, just around bringing relevance, but accountability, right? Cause sometimes times you have these conversations and yes, it's, it's multifaceted in the system, but you know, a district could pass it on to another LEA or that could be passed up to the state and it could be passed up to the fed. So yeah, friendly accountability, we should say looks um, appreciated, I would say, but to your point around certification tests and almost going back to standardized tests where we started, I think we've seen some research around if they are effective measures of teaching, um, as well as how they potentially discriminate against those moving into teaching forces that people that don't look like me as a white male in the space trying to be a teacher. So you know we've seen work with Sharif and Pennsylvania almost thought, talking about what if we get rid of the praxis? What if we get rid of state certified tests? And um, not really sure if you wanna to respond to that or care to, but I think it's emerging research that could be interesting as like a serious potential blocker for um, equitable access to teaching positions.
1: Yeah. I mean, so again, this is a really nuanced point and hopefully yeah. we're not getting too wonky for the folks out there, but what you're saying is accurate. I mean, it seems like on its face, like, oh, well, everybody should take a test to get certified and prove that, the, you know, their their acumen in this mm-hmm. field. But, you know, again, tests are normed based right. on certain cultural practices and ideologies. And right. so those practice tests at TPA also, oftentimes there's significant barriers. Now the argument always is, well, if we're going to, we can diversify, but we can't lower the quality of teachers and you know it's a it's a it's a license to practice right sure. so we both got driver's licenses but that doesn't tell you what kind of driver i am right um especially if you
0: come from the midwest where the best drivers are compared yeah. to the south where <laughs> these are some of the nicest drivers ever i, I want i want i want dog uh, uh all right i'll take the i'll take the that's right fine. you put that's you can get
1: the turn signal on here you can switch five <laughs> lanes but what i'm saying is you know these licenses to practice are very similar they don't speak to quality so stop using them to measure something they're not designed for yeah right and so promising uh i think evolving practice is, is where my state board had this human capital pipeline work that yep. was announced uh which is trying to create more of a funnel a wider entrance to the profession and they're looking at ways that folks can on-ramp and you know um non-traditional ways which tends to be the pathways that a lot of uh, uh teachers of color come into the profession yep. uh they create uh you know ways to get over those
0: hurdles I mean, one, two, and just for context, like, the, uh, again, a bit more biased here, but I am one of two, maybe you don't want to speak for you, but I failed the practice the first two times I took it, um, and then think I was an okay teacher, at least with some of the data results we had, but also, like, upon reflection, one could argue the theory that is asked and the content that is asked is still important. You don't want to put in anybody in front of kids. They don't uh, have the content to serve them, um, but there's a big jump between understanding earth and environmental science standards. And leading and engaging um, and and inspiring, if you will, 90 high school students, 90 minutes a day, three times a day. Those and maybe those skill sets can't be put on paper. But if that is true, then we as a system need to figure out how we get closer to that, mm-hmm. rather than you know, you know, having maybe a non-practical um, conversation around like just doing well on the certification test and then like you're straight for the rest of your life in terms of teaching well.
1: Yeah. I mean, and so two things. One is we need to do a better job of evaluating that. Right. Because that doesn't always show up on the accountability pieces for teachers as well. And um, and two, like you said, man, um, you might could pass a test that says you have this content knowledge. But depending on which school you're in, that impact your effectiveness, too. Because when I I taught at Garinger, I, I, I declared that there were teachers in Charlotte who could not do what we did. True. With, with, with the student populations right and frankly it was a different skill set right yeah. it was social emotional it was true. cultural you know and I could go to other places perhaps and teach but we always said man you can't just send anybody here to do this job you got to really true. know you gotta come out your trick bag you know mm-hmm.
0: it's 100 true and I'm, I mean where we started the conversation but like if teaching really is an art which I think a lot of people would agree with can you really measure and certify art through a certification test I don't think our friends in the music business or a friend in the art business would want to necessarily sit down for a formal test to say, look, my test says I'm straight. I'm an artist. Like that's, I don't know if those are fair comparison points.
1: Yeah. It's art and science, right? So maybe yep. some aspects, but you gotta, you gotta make room for
0: the art. Yeah, that's great. All right, man, we're going to get you out of here. Um, maybe a sideball question, but going to ask you, you get asked a lot of questions. You're mm-hmm. a famous dude. You're an important dude. What's a question nobody asks that you wish people would
1: um, boy, okay, it's for a speed round. Um, I would say, well, one is the music question, so I appreciate you asking that. Sure. But, like, uh, what, what would I have done if I wasn't a teacher? Right? I tell everybody, mm-hmm. I didn't, didn't go to school to be a teacher. I went to school to be a journalist, man. So, mm-hmm. if I, you know, if I wasn't teaching and if I wasn't rapping, I probably would have been in the journalism business
0: specific to education, music journalist, Rolling Stone. I probably would
1: have been doing some investigative stuff, man. Ooh. You know what I mean? I'd have been exposing things. Probably the same spirit of what I'm doing now, exposing systems.
0: There you go. You know, I mean, not that you have a lot of free time, but I could see almost like a, a little side hustle with a pseudo name uh, coming up here soon.
1: Thought about it, but yeah, I ain't got time.
0: Bro. <laughs> uh, one thing the listening audience can do to help support your work or just public education across the country.
1: For our work. Please visit uh, creed-nc.org. Um, we, you know, we're a non we're a nonprofit organization, which means, man, you know, we depend on the generosity of there you go folks and uh, stakeholders, man, to stay running. So there's that. Two is one thing you could do immediately is start asking, pick an issue, any issue that you care about in education, and automatically ask yourself, who is where, where does the power live? Who is the decision maker on that issue? And go find out. Go. Do you know who's on the state board? Do you know what the state board does? Who's in your local board, right? Who is in the general assembly? Who's on the education committee? Just spend 15 minutes doing that on the internet.
0: Yeah, so important for um, a number of reasons. I think you you mentioned it this weekend too, but one, that info is not always easy to find, but two, once it is findable, picking not a lane, but picking a core focus area to drive change, going deeper rather than wider, I think is a great idea as well. And to what you said about creating, nobody listening, important to know a nonprofit that doesn't make money goes out of business. And so uh, that is important to support these organizations that are doing uh, more work than a lot, I would say, some are and some are. So let's we'll say it that way. Uh, Square Pizza. What does Square Pizza remind you of, James Ford? Uh, <laughs> reminds me of the old uh, Little Caesars commercials, bro. Okay, like from good. the 80s,
1: man, you know, um, and uh, I'm from the Midwest, so. I never really liked the deep dish, you know, yep. it's instant heartburn, but it does remember, <laughs> remind me of that, you know, all that sauce, man, on, on that pie.
0: So the follow-up here that we've learned to ask, uh, was it served in school at Rockford? Heck
1: yeah, but not okay. the kind we're talking about. You know, it was like <laughs> square rectangular pizza, right. uh, the cold joint that you put on the grill and just warm up, you
0: know, but we used to eat it. You know. We thought it you know, like it was too late to change it from square pizza to rectangle pizza after we already launched. But also like you never really hear anybody call it a rectangle pizza, even though damn well it is a rectangle. It's yeah, just literally. whatever default is like being in our system as a community or a culture as square pizza, even though it's damn well not square. You know what we're talking about. Don't be trying to be that <laughs> don't be that guy. Don't be that well actually guy. <laughs> we're gonna keep it rolling. Um,
1: James Ford, we appreciate you. Hey, appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks so much for checking out the Square Pizza Pod, making a few selfish requests. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps spread the word about the podcast and share this with a friend. We appreciate it. Thanks.